North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. It's been a couple weeks off. It's great to be back on the air. Thank you so much for your continued support. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, and I'm a naturopathic physician here in San Diego, California, with a specialty in digestive disorders and hormone problems. And for more information about me and my services, check out drlaurennoel.com. We have a great show in store for you tonight. I'm really excited about our guest. I will introduce her in just a second, but first wanted to let you know about some important events coming up. The Run, I've talked about this a little bit in um, previous shows. The Run is an event that's going to be taking place starting July 17th uh, this year in San Francisco, and it's a family that will be running 13,000 miles to raise awareness for natural medicine in transforming our nation's health. As you know, if you're listening to this show, our healthcare in the U.S. is not working, and this event will be paramount in sparking that movement. So this family will be running from uh, San Francisco all the way to Bridgeport, Connecticut. at 13,000 miles to raise awareness. So for more information about the event, check out therun.org. There's many, many ways to get involved in it. You can donate. You can wear T-shirts. You can actually uh, volunteer at the event. So check that out. We have some great shows in store for you in the next few weeks. Next week, I will have Dr. Nicola McFadgen on the show. She is the author of The Lyme Diet. That will be all about Lyme disease. Uh, My shows are typically on Tuesday, but next week it will be on Wednesday just because we had to work out our scheduling. So that will be next Wednesday at 5 p.m. on Lyme disease, so spread the word. The following week, the fabulous Nora Gidgaudis, we had to actually schedule that again. So she will finally be joining us. She's the author of Primal Body, Primal Mind, and that is basically taking the paleo diet a step beyond and using a lot of current research, and she is a very, very smart cookie, so I'm excited to have her on the show. Future events, July 19th, we will have the fabulous Rob Wolf, author of The Paleo Solution, on the show. It will be a really popular show, I'm sure. And then July 26th, that's all on vaccinations. We'll have the uh, amazing Dr. Sherry Tenpenny on the show to talk all about vaccines. Do you really need to get vaccinated? Are they good? Are they bad? What's the deal with that? We'll be talking about it. As usual, I'll be taking your phone calls, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. I have Twitter in front of me and Facebook as well, so I can check questions from that. If you really have a burning question, though, it's important you call in because I have missed some questions in the past just because I'm trying to listen to the guests and manage a million things at once. So the Twitter questions at twitter.com slash Noel and facebook.com slash Noel. And my website, again, is drlaurennoel.com. So on to tonight's guest. We have the fabulous Sally Fallon Morell on the show. She is the founding president of the Weston A. Price Foundation and the editor of the Foundation's Quarterly Magazine and the author of the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions. Sally Fallon received a bachelor's degree in English with honors from Stanford University and a master's degree in English with high honors from UCLA. So that will make my dad very proud. He is a diehard Bruin. I will go ahead and bring Sally Fallon on the show. Sally, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, Lauren. Great. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I am honored to talk to you for the very first time, myself on the air. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What led you to the work of Weston Price and to writing your book, Nourishing Traditions? Well, certainly the work of Weston Price led to my writing the book, Nourishing Traditions. And, you know, I really don't remember what it was that got me in contact with that wonderful book of his, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. But I read it in the early 70s when I was starting out with my own family, and it it um, corroborated a lot of my own ideas about nutrition and especially the fact that I love to cook and use lots of butter and cream and so forth. <laughs> and I was a big, uh, loved pate and, and foods with organ meats in them. So I just raised my family that way. I The results were wonderful. They were very healthy. Um, we didn't spend any time in the doctors with earaches or digestive problems or anything like that. And it was just a joy to raise these uh, healthy children. 
So when my youngest was going to school full-time and I had more time, I had the idea of writing a book that would put Dr. Price's um, research and findings into a more practical form because his book is a little bit daunting, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And it was a way for me to you know, express my love of, of cooking as well. So one thing led to another, and, and here we are. Uh, Nourishing Traditions has been a kind of word-of-mouth phenomenon I never guessed that it would uh, strike such a chord with people. Mm-hmm. And, and the book was uh, actually written when? Well, I started in 1990, and the first edition came out in 1996, and then I realized I needed to make some more changes, and the edition that everyone has, you know, buying today, it came out in 1999. And, and I know so you've been asked to pass, you know, why don't you write a revised version? And, and I think was your answer is just that, you know, the information is timeless. I mean, this is this is the way that cultures have lived for thousands of years, so how much really changes, right? Well, I, I've made little, little corrections with each printing, especially, uh, you know, typos and things. But, um, yeah, it, the book is something of a classic now, and I, I think it would be wrong to do a revision. I am planning to do another cookbook someday. So, I mean, I'm in the process of keeping files. And, and don't hold me to that. I mean, it could be <laughs> five or ten years away. But Okay. Well, um, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. Rather than do um, revision, I would rather do a sort of update with a new book. I agree with that. So on my show, my show's only been around for maybe six months or so, so we're still pretty new mm-hmm. in my, um, you know, the listeners, they're still kind of learning things. And so with um, Weston Price, I haven't talked much about him on the show. Who was mm-hmm. Weston Price and what did he do? Well, uh, Weston Price was a dentist back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. He was a very prominent dentist in his day. And he was a thinker. He was really trying to think through these things that he saw in his practice. And first of all, he was kept asking himself, why why do we have so much tooth decay? Why do we have dental deformities as crowded and crooked teeth, overbites, underbites? And he said, I just don't believe that this is the way we're supposed to be. And the second question he kept asking himself was, or people kept asking him, was if diet has something to do with our dental health and our overall health, what is the right diet for mankind? So to answer these questions, he set out on a, a series of investigations that ended up taking him 10 years and took him all over the globe. And he found uh, a number of very healthy population groups that had no cavities and beautiful straight teeth that were uh, vibrant and healthy and had healthy babies. And and so when he looked at their diets, they were all very different. The Eskimo diet was obviously different from the um, diet in the South Seas. But there were common denominators in these diets, and one of them was that the diets were very high in what we call the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K. And these are the vitamins that we get from animal fats and organ meats and fish eggs and um, all of these foods that we we turn our backs on today. Mm-hmm. We and why don't is it that like we turn or, our backs or, on those? Yeah. Or, or we think they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the number one message is that you really, to have a healthy diet, you need to include as many of those foods as possible. So this is butter, egg yolks, cream, uh, whole milk, especially whole raw milk, um, organ meats, fish eggs, shellfish. These were the really nutrient-dense foods. Wow, and I'm so excited to have you on the show just to address a lot of these foods that people are really afraid to include in their diets. And yes, right. just to get some perspective, why is it that these foods are just seen as just the devil? I mean, wh- let's talk a little bit about the lipid hypothesis and what that is. Okay. And, yeah. But first, just to just to conclude my thoughts about Dr. Price, um, the other half of that equation is that there were no processed foods. And, you know, no refined carbohydrates, no vegetable oils, no flavorings, or any of these things we have in our diets today. So it's a, like a two-prong answer that he found. One was the high levels of nutrient-dense foods and, and the lack of processed foods. So it's Got those it. two things together. Okay. So um, so why are we afraid of these foods? I, and I've had people tell me they feel guilty when they eat butter. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been a deliberate campaign of the vegetable oil industry for the past uh, 60 or 70 years. We have all their documents showing that they planned this com- campaign. And, and uh, the whole idea was to um, demonize their competition. 
And so they picked a couple of things that weren't in their products and made people think they were bad. One is cholesterol and one is saturated fat. And the propaganda about against cholesterol and saturated fat has been relentless and continues to be relentless, even though we now have lots of studies showing that these two fat, that cholesterol and saturated fat do not cause heart disease. They do not cause cancer. They they have very important roles to play in the body. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, saturated fat, and I know just, you know, going through naturopathic medical school in our biochemistry mm-hmm. class, we learned the importance of saturated fat, the importance of cholesterol, and all the different um, oh, I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, naturopathic medicine, we do not shy away from fat. We eat tons of fat because mm-hmm. we just know. I mean, we feel better. And mm-hmm. if you really know biochemistry, you see what the downline right. produces in the body, you know. The reason, the reason we need a lot of saturated fat is because our bodies are warm. We're warm-blooded. And if we were cold-blooded fish, we'd have a lot of polyunsaturates in our bodies. But warm-blooded animals and humans... Uh, they have to have a lot of saturated fats in their bodies to provide stability to the cell membranes. And if we don't eat saturated fat, then we will crave carbohydrates because the body very efficiently turns carbohydrates, especially refined carbohydrates, into saturated fat. Right, into triglycerides too, correct? Yeah. Yes, and and not in the right way. In other words, you're not getting all the good vitamins, you're you're making a lot of triglycerides, et cetera, et cetera. So it's right. it's really not good to get your saturated fats from carbohydrates. But the body will do this if you're not eating them. So how was how was the lipid hypothesis first what was going on with that initially? How did how did that first become, you know, the case where people are so afraid of saturated fat and of cholesterol? Um, gosh, it really started in the thirties. They did some experiments on rabbits which are vegetarians, Mm -hmm. and they fed the rabbits purified cholesterol, and the rabbits developed a lot of problems, which you can well imagine. But it really didn't start in earnest until the 50s with Ansel Keys and some of his studies, um, what we call epidemiological studies. And it just, you know, it just became more and more of a crescendo that these foods were bad for us. Uh, this industry, the vegetable oil industry, took over the dietitians. They eventually ended up uh, with their people controlling the American Medical Association and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Mm, some conflict of interest there. Yeah, right. Yeah, that doesn't work out too well. So in your right. opinion, do you think anything should be eaten that's low-fat in the diet? No, no. That's You need to eat foods the way they come in nature, and... Eggs come with fat, milk comes with fat, meat comes with fat. Um, that's the way they occur in nature, and that's you know that's the way we should eat it. In fact, in traditional cultures, they sometimes separated the fat from the meat or the cheese or the milk, or whatever, and ate that in addition to the whole product. But they never separated out the protein and ate that in addition. Or kind of like the way that we do, we eat our egg white oh, omelets yeah. and you know take the yeah. skin off the chicken and think that we're doing something that's healthy, but in reality, it's actually ca- causing an imbalance, right? You know, I, I like to say something about chicken skin. <laughs> there mm. are so many good things in chicken skin: um, fat-soluble vitamins, uh, very good fats, and all sorts of components that help with building healthy cartilage and healthy skin, as you can imagine, including yeah. the digestive tract, which is a type of skin. And it is just incredible that we have people um, haranguing us about eating the skin on the chicken. It's it's the best part of the chicken. <laughs> Tastes the best. <laughs> Whenever I'm eating with friends and they're taking the, the skin off the chicken, and if they don't listen to me telling them they need to eat it, I just eat it, and it's like awesome. Sure. I'm like, I like to hang yeah. with my friends. I like to eat all their chicken skin, so I'll take it. <laughs> so... Um, so I want to I want to talk a little bit more about fat in a little bit, but I'm actually really curious um, of something that is just a really big issue right now, and that's about grains. Um, mm-hmm. I had I had Dr. Thomas O'Brien on the show um, I think three or four weeks ago, and we were talking about um, just the, the dangers of gluten and gluten sensitivity and right. um, and all of that. What's the the view um, for the Weston A. Price Foundation when it comes to grains? Well, we we like to rather than tell people you can't eat grains or you can't eat gluten uh, or you can't eat dairy or whatever and and 
tell people that they can't do things. We like to say, here's how you can eat these things. Now, grains, all grains are problematic. Uh, They contain enzyme inhibitors and tannins and phytic acid in addition to gluten. And uh, some grains contain gluten. And um, that's why traditional cultures prepared these grains very carefully by soaking or fermenting. And you think of genuine sourdough bread. And we have research out of Italy showing that even people with celiac disease can eat uh, uh, sourdough bread without any problems. That's a high-gluten grain. Uh, the other part of this is that the, our digestive tracts are not as well-developed as they could be, and particularly in this culture where uh, pregnant women are on low-fat diets, they're nursing on a low-fat diet, the babies start out on not getting enough fat um, and not getting enough cholesterol because you need cholesterol to build your digestive tract. So we have all these uh, children with difficult digestion, leaky gut, and you know, wheat is extremely hard for them to, to handle. So the two-pronged approach is proper preparation and then um, a type of diet that will rebuild the digestive tract. And that's a diet that would include plenty of vitamin A, including cod liver oil, and um, bone broth, which is kind of a magic healer for the digestive tract, and then lacto-fermented foods for good bacteria. Hmm. I guess so what you're, what you're saying is, is that maybe this um, increased um, trouble with digesting grains isn't so much about the grains per se, but maybe it's that our digestive tracts are so screwed up from the change in our diets that you know possibly yes. we can't handle them the way that we used to. Well, I think I think it's both of those things. I think part of it is that we don't digest things very well anymore. Part of it is that we are not preparing the grains properly. But I think there's a third thing in that the modern wheat is very different from the ancient wheat. You know, there's at least 10 toxic chemicals put on wheat from uh from the seed to storage. And this includes coatings on the seed, hormones to make the stems grow straight. Uh, fumigants in storage. And so, you know, people could be reacting to any of those things. Right. What about having organic grains? Does that take those out of the picture then? Uh, Somewhat. It's definitely better, and we always recommend uh, using organic grains. Mm -hmm. But they still need to be properly prepared. So what what would that preparation look like for someone who isn't familiar with preparing? Okay, so it would be a long, slow process of souring and letting good bacteria grow in the the dough or the soaking grains. And these good bacteria break down what we call the anti-nutrients in grains, including mm-hmm. gluten, and just make them much easier to digest. Okay. So like soaking them overnight, for example? Yeah. So, for example, oatmeal, as we'd soak rolled oats overnight in water, warm water, and something acidic, so a little bit of lemon juice, vinegar, or whey, or yogurt. And you need that acidity because that activates the enzymes that start doing all this good work. The other main way is to um, make a genuine sourdough bread. So you're not using yeast, you're using a sourdough culture. Hmm. And where does a person get that sourdough culture? Well, we publish a shopping guide at the Weston A. Price Foundation, which... um, tells you where you can order the culture. There's a lot of sources. Great. Very cool. My my switchboard is acting up and trying to take some calls, and it's giving me trouble. <laughs> so hopefully I'll be able to take some calls in a little bit. Um, very cool. So I'm I'm curious, too. Um, one thing I love in your book, you have you have so many great chapters in here, different things to, to choose from to study. Um, I'm curious. You talk about um, a, a term called lacto-fermentation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. For those not familiar with this term, what is that exactly, and what, what does that provide from a health standpoint for people? Well, there's two types of fermentation. There's fermentation by yeast, which produces alcohol. So you use yeast to make wine or beer. And fermentation by bacteria, which produces lactic acid, mm-hmm. which is a preservative. So, for example, if you make sa- um, sauerkraut out of cabbage, when you pound those leaves, a lot of lactic acid comes out and it makes the sauerkraut turn sour and allows it to be kept for a long, long time. And that lactic acid is good for your digestive tract. Uh, you also get a proliferation of enzymes and good bacteria, so you're eating a real probiotic food when you eat the um, lacto-fermented sauerkraut. 
And these lacto-fermented foods are never heated because you don't want to kill all the, the good bugs in them. Mm-hmm. And so were these foods that, that the um, cultures that Weston Price studied, did, did they eat these foods, fermented foods? Well, he did not describe this. Mm-hmm. He, he really wasn't looking for it. He didn't know what it was. But there is a wonderful book called Handbook of Indigenous Fermented Foods uh, with examples from throughout the world. And basically all cultures had fermented foods. Mm-hmm. So they all had a source of good bacteria which was going into their digestive tracts on a daily basis. And, you know, you know, the big problem today is um, dysbiosis and people having the wrong flora in their digestive tracts. Yeah, I mean, the foods, not only do the foods Americans eat, are they lacking of, of, you know, anything fermented, but they really have so much else added to it to really throw off the digestive tract, and it's just, yeah. 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 I mean, I specialize in digestive disorders, and it's just amazing how how many conditions are walking through the door, and I think so much of it is just simply diet-related. Yes, it is, and you need to get off the food that feeds the bad guys and get on the foods that feed the good guys. Yeah, so exactly. Mm-hmm. So... um I noticed. So, so you talked about the the, the, the different. Um, I guess you should say the um, nutrients that the various cultures had in common with the Western what Western Price found. So, they the, the similarities you said were the um, the fat soluble vitamins, right? And then the um, the lack of the processed foods. Were those the two main discoveries he found? Was there anything else that he found in his work? Um, he found um, a real emphasis on special foods for pregnant women and growing children. Uh, he called these sacred foods, or we call them sacred foods, and they were foods that were particularly rich in the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K, and this is what you need to build the beautiful facial structure that he found in these cultures. Mm-hmm. So, so that these would are be, fertility foods, right? So if women want to get pregnant, these are the kind of foods that they should be eating, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Fish eggs was a big fertility food in many cultures. Hmm. Liver, um, you know, butter, egg yolks. And, and we know that they're fertility foods because they have the vitamins in, in them that you need to have, get pregnant and have healthy babies. Right, right. I'm going to go ahead and take a caller here. Okay. We have a caller from the 916. Let me get my switchboard working here. Oh, my switchboard is giving me such problems today. Let's see, I'm going to let that reload. I'll ask a question and then I'll let that reload because my computer okay. has problems. Um, so... So speaking of eggs, um, okay, actually it looks like my switchboard's working now. Uh, me... Okay, caller from the 916, are you there? Yes. Hello. Hi, you're on Hi. Dr. Low Radio. What's your question for for Sally Fallon? Hi. Um, well, I, I heard you talking about the uh, animal organs and how, you know, good they are for you. But what if you're a vegetarian? What are the options to get your nutrition? Well, we don't recommend veganism because that's just the very fast road to nutrient deficiencies. If you are a lacto-ovo vegetarian, we would urge you to also include fish in your diet, uh, to take cod liver oil to get adequate A and D, uh, to have raw dairy products, not pasteurized, because pasteurized really reduces the nutritional value, and to eat plenty of eggs and egg yolks from pasture-fed hens. Also, as a vegetarian, you'll be relying more on grains and legumes, and so the proper preparation is really important for vegetarians. Mm, okay. But we, we really don't encourage vegetarianism. We um, and That was actually Dr. Price's greatest disappointment. He had hoped to find a healthy culture that didn't eat any animal foods, and he was forced to admit that such a culture did not exist. And all of these cultures went to tremendous risk to obtain the animal foods. So um, valuable did they think these animal foods were for their health. And all of the foods for healthy reproduction, having healthy babies, they were all animal foods. Oh, okay, interesting. Did I answer your okay, question? Okay, thank you very much. Yes, I did. Thank Great. you very much. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I'm curious, Sally, um, 
I don't know if maybe I should mention this, but you know the the book, the the China study. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you know they talk about the cultures that are the healthiest or the, are the vegetarian or vegan or you know that's what they're showing. But that's in, not in, correct. Uh, okay, um, I, we have analyzed the China study in great detail on our website. We have a book review of it. I analyzed it in an article I wrote on the Chinese diet. I went and got the China study, not not the popular book, but the actual study. And my colleague and I, Mary Annick, pored over the study to see if we could find anything that supported Colin Campbell's claim that the people who had plant-based diets were healthier. And it's just not there. The the numbers are not there. They didn't find any particular advantage uh, from having more plants in the diet. And the healthiest culture that he looked at was the Mongolian culture with lots of milk and meat. And he was kind of embarrassed about that, so he said, "Well, we're not going to include them because they were an anomaly." Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so he threw out the information that you know he he didn't include the data that he disagreed with. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. Um, There's a, quite a bit on the China study on our website, so um, you know, go to westonaprice.org and just put in China study. We have. Um, book review, um, several blog postings about it. So it's all very good. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take another caller here. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'll have to wait till my switchboard works again. Awesome. <laughs> radio. Um, I'll take a Facebook question while I, while I have the chance. Um, mm-hmm. This is from Kelly on Facebook. She wants to know, um, doesn't eating too much meat cause the blood to become too acidic? And how much should I eat? Well, I I do agree that we can eat too much meat and definitely too much protein. And, in fact, I agree with Dr. Campbell in in that respect. You know, these things like casein and whey and and egg whites without the yolks and and lean meat are very dangerous. I'm not saying they make you too acidic, but they certainly deplete vitamin A and possibly vitamin D. And that is not the thing that we're lacking in this culture. We're not lacking for protein. What we're lacking is fats, and that's what we need to increase is the animal fats. Mm. So more butter, more egg yolks, more cream. When you eat meat, be sure to eat it with the fat. There's very valuable components in the fat that you need to digest the meat. Okay. For those listeners who are um, new to you know nutrition and um, thinking about where their food is coming from, mm. um, Obviously, getting meat or butter or milk from just you know a typical grocery store is a lot different from the farm. Can you speak a little bit about the difference of that? Yeah, absolutely. When animals are on pasture, they will be very rich sources of these key vitamins, A, D, and K. And uh, we are probably the greatest force for getting people to um, buy locally from a farmer doing grass-based farming. And the way you find out where your farmer is is you go to our website, westonaprice.org and you click on local chapters find a local chapter and uh, you give them a call or an email and each local chapter keeps a resource list uh, telling you where to go to get these good foods great yeah and definitely support the local farmers for sure because they're Mm -hmm. doing it right Mm -hmm. Um, and and, you know even like eggs for example I was noticing the other day um, I always buy organic eggs but I always try to buy the pasture raised whenever I can and I was noticing I was at the end of my batch of my organic eggs, and I was just starting my pasture-raised eggs. So I used one of one and one of the other. And I cracked the egg open, and I noticed that the pasture-raised egg looked very, very different from just the organic yes. egg. It was bright, you know, brilliant orange. The, the yolk yes. was a lot bigger, and it, and it tasted so much different. So what's yes. the difference between the two? Well, you're going to get a lot more vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K, uh, vitamin E, uh, a lot more minerals in the yolk of the pasture-fed egg. And, you know, there's so much deception. Organic will say cage-free and free roam, Mm -hmm. but that does not mean pasture-fed. It means that they're still in big barns. They're still inside, uh, crowded together. It's just that they're not in cages. Right. So it's a better choice, but it's not as good as it can be. Right. And it's very difficult to find truly pasture-raised eggs in in, uh, stores. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're a lot more expensive, but I, I think it's really worth the worth the. Oh, price. absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, we have color. a saying in, at the foundation, um, and by the way, we were talking about Weston Price. In 1999, uh, we founded the Weston A. Price Foundation. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm referring to when I refer to the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. great. Got a caller here from the 508. Caller, are you here? I'm here. Great. And what's your name and where are you calling from? 
Lisa calling from Massachusetts. Hey, Lisa. What's your question for Sally? Um, my question has to do with children consuming um, grass-fed beef and milk. The French Research Authority advised its citizens that pregnant women and young children should avoid grass-fed meats and milk due to the radiation fallout from Japan. And our country's concentration, the same article that I read about this, was eight to ten times higher than France. I was just wondering if you think young children should avoid um, consuming that for a period of time. Yeah, that's that's a good question, and I'm not sure I have an art, uh, an answer for you because it's always a trade-off. There'll be a lot of things in in the grass-fed meats and milk that help you deal with radiation, for example. So it's just it's, it's kind of a trade-off. Um, I would sort of like to actually actually see the numbers uh, when they say that there's you know this much of an increase because. My understanding was that these numbers had not gone up very much. I think they've stopped measuring here. No, it could be. It, it could it could very well be. Any follow-up questions? So, right. so give your children, um, you know, grass-based raw cheese and raw butter that's been in your freezer. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed your book. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Lisa. Yeah, Thank that's you. a good question there. Um I'm curious about something you talk about in your book, and this is called Activator X. Can you yes. explain a little bit of what that is? Yes. So Dr. Price was uh, testing for fat-soluble vitamins. Now, you have to remember this is back in the 30s. And he got samples of butter from all over the world and tested them to see you know, what kind of conditions resulted in the highest levels. And he also found a third vitamin, which he didn't quite know what it was. He called it Activator X. Sometimes we call it the price factor, but he believed it was an extremely important part of the equation and that the A and D did not work very well without the X factor. Well, we finally figured out what the X factor is. It's most likely vitamin K2, the animal form of vitamin K, and lo and behold, it works synergistically with vitamins A and D, and it's particularly important for facial development. A sign of lack of vitamin K is sunken in of the middle third of the face, in the area around the nose and cheekbones. So that's what Activator X is. It's vitamin K, and vitamin K is found in organ meats, meat fats, uh, butter fat from grass-fed animals, chicken skin, (laughs) and um, certain types of seafoods. That's so interesting because vitamin K2 is just booming right now with research about its importance with bone health and yes. preventing and treating osteoporosis. It's just interesting. It was just way ahead of the time. Western Price is way ahead of what Oh, was he on. was. And the interesting thing is there's an article on our website called In Search of the Elusive X Factor, a very interesting article about vitamin K and what it does. And, um, you know, it's not just for blood. It's not just for bones. It is... Uh, one of these vitamins that's involved in lots of lots of processes in the body. Great, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. All right, I have another caller here from the 808. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, what's your name and where are you calling from? Jerry from Kauai. Hi, Jerry. What's your question for Sally? Well, this is on a lighter note from the last question. <laughs> but I am um, a 60-year-old woman. Grew up with a single mom that always made us eat liver and onions in the 50s. And I would do everything to hide from the kitchen because it just grossed me out. Is there a way that liver can be um, pleasing and the texture possibly change to get it down yes. the throat? Yes, it's called pate <laughs> or liverwurst. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, I, I like, like liverwurst. I, I like to say it's a way of making awful taste good. And okay, of course, the Europeans have developed these delicious pâtés, and that's the way I eat my liver. I make okay. chicken liver pâté, and I buy pâtés and spreads and things. Well, thank you. And I also have another question about raw milk. Mm-hmm. I've been told by friends that that's the milk we're supposed to be drinking, and why? Well, raw milk is... Now, we don't just say raw milk. We say real milk. And by real milk, we mean from pasture-fed cows. It's full fat, and it hasn't been processed in any way. And that is milk as nature intended. And when you process the milk or take out the fat or give the cows unnatural feed, the quality and the nutritional value of the milk goes down, and especially pasteurization, because pasteurization kills 
the enzymes in the milk. And these are what help you absorb all the vitamins and minerals. Pasteurized milk and particularly ultra-pasteurized milk are just very difficult to digest. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Where where do you live, by the way? In Kauai. Oh, okay. Hard to find raw milk there. (laughs) But if you, we have a secondary website called realmilk.com, and we have our most important articles and a huge PowerPoint posted on the the homepage there. So have a look at realmilk.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for your question. This has been very helpful. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, I was reading in your book, Sally, you were mentioning how, um, I can't remember exactly the wording it was, but but kids who um, drink uh, skim milk as opposed to full-fat milk have, mm-hmm. I think you said three times more diarrhea or, you know, they yeah, have diarrhea. Five times more, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what, what's going on with that? Why is that the case? Yeah, milk? that's that's really interesting. They found, this is one study they were and this was just pasteurized milk. It wasn't anything raw. And they were comparing skim versus full-fat milk for elderly and for children. And those on the skim milk had three to five times more digestive problems. And there's just a lot of components in the fat that are critical for for good digestion, uh, special fatty acids, uh, special vitamins, um, you know, a number of components. Even the components of the fat globule membrane are important for your digestive cells. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. It's you know, I don't think people really keep in mind is that our body is made of cells and the lining of our cells are made of fat. And so that's if you're right. eating, you know, tons of polyunsaturated fats and you're heating them up and it's turning into trans fats, that's going to be part of your body. You're going to become literally trans fat. Um well, I, I do need to correct you here. Just heating uh, vegetable oil does not create trans fats. You need to do it in the presence of a catalyst and hydrogen gas. And so it's very hard to make trans fats except in a factory. But the heating of the vegetable oils makes them rancid and um, forms all sorts of toxic breakdown pro- uh, products, including tons of free radicals. Got it. And, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is it turns into free yeah. radicals, which then free radicals, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. yeah, and then that can really damage the cells of the body. So, right. um, for those people listening, what for them to just go to their kitchen right now, look in their cupboards, and really detox their kitchens? What what would be yeah. some things that you would recommend for them to just get rid of right away? Well, any anything processed, anything with a big label. Um, uh, extruded cereals, and that's a real tough one for some people. These are the cold box cereals, which go through a process of called extrusion, which creates a lot of toxic protein fragments in in the cereals. Um, in animal studies, where they give them things like cornflakes or puffed wheat, uh, these animals die very quickly. Now, you're not giving them as the only food to a child, but still, it should give us pause. And so, we would recommend instead of these cereals. Uh, you do um, eggs and bacon for breakfast or uh, eggs and some kind of meat, uh, sourdough bread and, and cheese or um, oatmeal, um, smoothie made with whole yogurt and egg yolks. Uh, these are these are real food breakfasts. So that's, that's a good place to start. Second place I'd go is all the bottled salad dressings and just toss those and learn to make your own salad dressing. Now, why should they be tossing the salad dressings? What's what's wrong with those? Well, they're made with the cheapest oils, and they are so they're going to be very rancid. And if you look at the ingredients on these dressings, they're filled with additives, preservatives, you know, artificial flavors, and so forth. But the main reason is they're made with um, very cheap oils. And you can make your own salad dressing with the finest olive oil for the same price that you're going to pay for uh, these mixed dressings. So in terms of oils, um, cooking with oils, you, you know, they're not all created equal in terms of their their breaking point. Um, what, right. Which oils do you recommend to cook with and which ones do you suggest to well, not Well, you cook can with? cook with olive oil. Olive oil does not break down except at very high temperatures. So olive oil is, is a cooking oil, but I really recommend that you cook in animal fats. They're much more stable and they provide a lot of good vitamins. We we cook in, in mostly in lard which is very stable and an excellent source of vitamin D. 
And you know what I love about all this is that all the foods you're saying are just so much tastier than having cereal yes, for breakfast. Yes, they are. Yeah, <laughs> food cooked in lard tastes delicious. <laughs> I love the look on my patients' faces when I tell them, hey, you know, you need to actually eat more fat in your diet. Their eyes get yeah. wide and they're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Tastes better and you're going to Another great fat for cooking is ghee, which is clarified butter, which is what they use in India. Okay, so how would someone make clarified butter? Well, you can make clarified butter by heating it slowly and, and skimming off the milk fat that comes to the top, but you can actually buy ghee ready-made. Okay, great. I have a uh, caller here from the 404 area code as my switchboard decides to comply. Um, caller, are you there from the 404? No, nope, not yet. Caller, are you there? Okay, I'll have to come back to them. Um Another topic of something that is, you know, kind of new in the news is the the new food guide pyramid. What's what's your oh, take yeah. on that, Sally? <laughs> well, we have been watching the um, the committee's deliberations, and basically they've come up with more of the same uh, demonizing saturated fats when the in the teeth of contradictory and uh, you know evidence that shows that there's no need to demonize them. They uh, one of the things we're really concerned about is their recommendation to reduce salt to less than a teaspoon. I think it's 3.5 grams, and um, this is also uh, not scientific. We need salt. We probably need more salt than some people are eating, because uh, salt is just critical for digestion and and many other processes. And what's interesting to us is that the food industry is not objecting anymore. Um, you know, in the past, they were howling because processed food needs a lot of salt or it's unpalatable. But the food industry has come up with these salt substitutes that trick your body into thinking that it's getting salt. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you this is going to be have very, very serious consequences on people. Hmm. Like what are what are some salt substitutes? Well, there's one a new one called Cenomix, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, tickles your salt taste buds and makes you think you've eaten salt mm. and it's uh it's a nano particle it's the amounts are going to be so small you don't have to put it on the label mm. yeah you know anytime we try to trick the body into anything it usually doesn't yeah. work too well yeah. i mean look at the artificial sweeteners that's that's not going very well either right right yeah okay let me see if my switchboard is working now okay caller from the 404 are you there 404, caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, hi. <laughs> what's your question hi. for Scott? Or what's your name? Where are you calling from, first off? Maisha, I'm calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Hi there. Thanks so much for your call. What's your question for Sally? I'm calling about my four-year-old. She is, is going to be five in November, but she has a peach fuzz under her arm, and it's kind of freaking me out, and sometimes she has odor, so she's actually using deodorant. So I wanted to know... What in her diet do I need to eliminate um, in order for her to, you know... Is she getting have... soy milk? Huh? Is she getting soy milk or did she, was she on soy formula? No, she was breastfed. Um, then she went to, the you know, the uh, 100% fat cow milk. And then from that we went to almond milk because I'm allergic to cow milk and mm-hmm. soy. So mm-hmm. she kind of has almond here and there. But sometimes she drinks regular milk too, like at ten percent. But have there been soy foods in the diet? Um, let's see. You know what? Actually, yes. When she was about two, not uh-huh. very long though. But a daycare she attended, in-home daycare, she had some okay. milk there. Yeah. So probably about maybe a year. Yeah. Okay, so um, that's what I would guess is the reason for this early maturation. And the one thing that I would strongly suggest is that she get back on lots of milk. And the reason I say that is because there was a study in the, um, in, I think it was in Puerto Rico, where they had a kind of an epidemic of early maturation in little girls. And when they did their study, they found that it was correlated to uh, actually soy formula and eating a lot of chicken that had been brought up on soy. But the little girls who drank lots of milk did not develop these symptoms. And I would really suggest that you look into raw whole milk for your uh, daughter. 
She, um, I'm sure you can find it in the Jacksonville area. Uh, go to our website and find the Jacksonville, uh, Florida chapter. And you can feel very safe, um, very assured your daughter's getting good nutrition from that milk. Okay, thank you. Do you think it's the chicken? That was the first thing that came to my mind. Was this we know It could chicken. very well oh. be. And the same folks who can tell you where to get raw milk can probably tell you where to get soy-free chicken and eggs. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. You know, okay. I'd like to I add something as well, something that, that comes to mind for me as well, is, you know, one of the things that really adds to premature aging for kids and why they're getting, you know, their periods so much younger, um, it really has to do with too many, too much light. Um, speaking with T.S. Wiley, I had her on the show a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if your daughter has a lot, night light, make sure, you know, she's sleeping in complete darkness because that allows her to have a sufficient darkness to where she's not aging prematurely. So it's another thing I would add to that, just make sure she's sleeping in complete darkness. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else you, you want to add? Get a little, um, you can get a little um, infrared light. Yeah, infrared doesn't do light. it, um, but, yeah. but a night light, it, it changes yeah. the hormones in the body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, she usually sleeps in, in darkness. Well, I have two daughters, actually, one is two years old, but they sleep in complete darkness. I just didn't mm-hmm. want to develop that kind of habit. So. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thanks for your call. Any great. other follow-up questions for us? Um. No, that was all. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> all right. That's interesting, huh? Um, yes, you know, we've heard some really shocking stories. There's one story I, I will tell you about. We had a little boy who was getting uh, raw milk, and, uh, uh, no, he excuse me, he'd been on soy formula, and his uh, testicles and male organ became very inflamed, so the mother started reading up and decided to switch and put him on raw grass-fed milk, and it all cleared up. But that grass-fed milk was kind of far away, and she found a dairy that was closer that was providing raw milk, but the cows got soy in their feed. And so she started giving that milk to her little boy, and the same thing happened again. So the the hormones from the soy coming through the cow's milk was enough to cause these um, these problems in the little boy. Wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just even what Some your animal. Some people are very sensitive to these types of estrogenic hormones. Yeah. Well, you can't get health from sick animals, so you know making sure right. that exactly. animals are eating is just as yeah. important as what you're eating too. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I wanted to bring up a study that I um, thought was really interesting. I saw it today on Medscape, and it was, um, you know, Medscape is a pretty uh, conventional website. They, they pretty right. much like conventional studies, but this is really interesting to me. And it was looking at um, a study conducted by Harvard School of Public Health. It was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And it was looking at can full-fat dairy prevent diabetes? And they were saying that um, this was in 6,500 people, um, mm-hmm. ages 65 and older. And the mm-hmm. ones who had the most, the, you know, full-fat dairy, um, so they ended up having the highest levels of transpalmitoleic acid yes. in the stream. Mm-hmm. Um, they were shown to be really protected, 60% lower risk of develop, developing yes. diabetes. Yes. Um, they had higher HDL, less body fat, lower you know, CRP, which, yeah. you know, we and know. Lower, yeah, lower tri- indications of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And lower triglycerides, yeah. too. And it's just it's amazing. And, and the, the woman who wrote the article, she's a medical doctor, and it was hilarious to me because at the end of the article she says, um, but I think I'll keep, you know, consuming my low-fat dairy. <laughs> like, oh. Okay. Yeah, people are so um, uh, propagandized, you know, they they just cannot make the switch. Yeah. Uh, there was another study done in Sweden a few years ago where they found that women who ate uh, full-fat dairy had lower weight gain as they went into menopause. And most women do gain weight in menopause. That's normal and, and healthy. But you don't want to gain a lot of weight. And the women who had the full-fat dairy and eating full-fat cheese and everything, they gained less weight. Yeah, I mean, you know, it comes down to science. It's like what's happening in the body, you know, when you're having yeah. full fat, you're not getting those spikes of insulin. That's, that's right, and you're not craving foods between meals because you don't get hungry, and mm-hmm. you're feeding your thyroid glands so you have a better metabolism. I mean, there's just lots of lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of a question I wanted to ask you is um, in regards to the thyroid. Um, I believe it was, it was in your book, Eat Fat, Lose Fat, which I haven't mentioned yet. That's another fabulous book that you authored. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
uh, you talk about the importance of coconut oil. Can you speak a little bit about that and including yes, the thyroid? Yes, um, that's a very neglected, very demonized oil, and coconut oil is extremely healthy oil. The types of fats in coconut oil uh, actually raise your body temperature, and that's very good for people with sluggish metabolism who are trying to lose weight. It's a great weight loss aid. In fact, I met a gal recently who'd lost over 100 pounds on that diet. She said she first, and she had so much energy. She had so much more energy than she'd had before. So the, the types of fats in coconut oil, they do that. They also are very good for your digestive tract. They're involved in intercellular communication. Every cancer patient should be on coconut oil. Mm. We say coconut oil and cod liver oil for the uh, cancer patients. Mm-hmm. I use uh, coconut oil with patients when I see they have a low secretory IgA. So maybe, oh, okay. uh, they're, um, basically their immune system is, is you know depressed in their gut and it's more yeah. of leaky gut. So coconut and it oil really, really, um, really helps the immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, all yeah. saturated fats do. Uh, they enhance the immune system, but coconut oil is particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm remembering when I was a kid, I was the little girl who was obsessed with butter. Um, oh, yeah. When, when we had family dinners, they always knew when Lauren was there. I mean, I was like, you know, maybe four years old. They always knew. My, my The way I'd marked my territory was that I had literally taken my hand and taken a full handful of the butter and just put it in my mouth because I was obsessed with butter. Um, <laughs> so, you know, even as a kid, I knew what was good for me. Um, what are the health benefits of butter, and why should we consume them? Well, butter is just the perfect fat. It has a perfect fatty acid profile. It has some of the types of fats in coconut oil. It has omega-3s. It has a wonderful fat called arachidonic acid, which is critical for a healthy digestive tract and healthy brain and nervous system, healthy skin. Uh, Butter contains uh, cholesterol, which is very good for you. It contains something called glycosphingolipids, which help with digestion. And if it's grass-fed butter, it will be a very rich source of vitamins and minerals, especially A, D, and K, and lots of good minerals in butter, copper, iron, um, magnesium, very rich in magnesium, and uh, iodine as well. Hmm. And then uh, conjugated linoleic acid, right? Oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, Conjugated linoleic acid, which is a healthy type of trans fat, and it's um, very helpful for weight loss. Hmm. And, um, you know, you mentioned the, the grass-fed, um, and, you know, also want to just raise awareness, too, of just having something that's grass-finished, too, right? I mean, there's a difference between um, when, because you, you mentioned in your book that the CLA content, um, even for, for cows who eat grains or corn for just a short period of time, um, it really changes that content pretty quickly, right? Uh, it's, it certainly does in milk, uh, in milk fats. I'm not so sure about the adipose fat in animals. I, I think it takes a while for that to go away. I actually, and I'm a little bit of a rebel here, I think we should be giving some grain at the end. And it can be done while they're being grass-fed because uh, the, the grass-fed meat tends to be very lean, and we really need to get some fat on the meat. Okay, interesting. So, And that's what they did in the biblical times. They had the fatted mm-hmm. calf, you know. Right, right. Uh, we are speaking with Sally Fallon on Dr. Low Radio, numbers 818-495-6919, in case there's any last-minute stragglers who would like to ask a question. Um, one thing I love in your book is you have a whole chapter on babies and children and what yeah. they should be eating. So, you know, first foods, typically, you know, goldfish, applesauce, that's just sort of typical foods that are given. What, what in your opinion, should be a baby's first foods, and what should children be eating? Well, first of all, baby's diet begins before he's conceived with mom's diet. And we have a, a diet for pregnant and nursing mothers that should start six weeks, six months before conception. And it's a very rich diet with lots of um, pate and fish eggs, if you can do it, a quart of raw milk a day, plenty of butter and egg yolks. And then uh, that diet continues while mom is breastfeeding. By six months of age, the baby needs uh, some solid foods that are rich in iron and B12, and that's why we recommend liver as the first food and egg yolks. Uh, These foods are also very rich in choline, which help uh, mental and um, neurological development. And then you can gradually add other foods, um, you know, meats and uh, vegetables, um, whole eggs, cultured milk, whole milk. Uh, what we do urge people, mothers, to do is to hold off on the grains. Wait till the baby's at least a year and even two years old before you give a lot of grains. 
Wow, and that's so opposite of what's done, right? I mean, babies yeah. are the first thing they're well, given. Well, this is one of the reasons we're seeing all the celiac diseases. Babies are introduced to grains way too young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah, one of my classes in, in naturopathic school, Dr. Tom, he's he's a big Weston pricer. He said, you know, the first meat should, or the first food should be meat. And we all looked around like, is he crazy? But, you know, I mean, yeah. as, as just doing more research, yeah. it's, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. what's what's the mother's milk more like? You know, yeah, it's like it's an animal food, right? And exactly. it's a very high fat animal. Very food, high yeah. fat, very high cholesterol. Um, yeah. And you know, baby formulas are basically void of cholesterol a lot of times. And um, uh, well, the soy formulas are. Mm-hmm. And babies need a lot of cholesterol. Growing children need cholesterol all through their growing years to form the gut and the brain, and to you know to form all the organs. Right. So I know that, that probably some of the questions people are thinking in their head is, well, if I eat cholesterol, it's going to mess up my cholesterol levels, right? What's what's your answer for that? And nothing could be further from the truth. There's uh, Even the most ardent proponents of the cholesterol theory admit that the cholesterol you eat has no effect on your cholesterol levels in the blood. Mm-hmm. It simply spares the body from having to make its own cholesterol. Right. Exactly. And we're, we're too, way too fixated on cholesterol levels anyway. Mm-hmm. We really are. Especially no. now, we're you know they're looking at children and and trying to lower children's cholesterol, and this is this is genocide. It's horrible. Yeah, putting kids on statins. That's that's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. All right, I'm gonna take one last caller because I know we're running out of time. So, the caller from the nine one six. Are you there? Yes. Hi. What's yes, your name? And where are you calling from? I'm. My name is Sid, and I'm from Grass Valley, California. Hi, Sid. Mm-hmm. What's your question for Sally? Well, I am always um, dieting and trying to figure out a a healthy way to do that. Um, And uh, I've been on the CrossFit um, diet, which is a takeoff of the the zone and balancing your fat and protein and carbs. And I just wonder if that's a good way to lose weight or a healthy way or... Uh, well, I, I'm not familiar with the diet, so it wouldn't be fair for me to comment on it. The diet that we recommend in Eat Fat, Lose Fat is actually a, quite a high-fat diet, but it's very small portions. But because you are eating those fats, you don't get hungry. And it's also a diet that's not going to deplete you. You know, a lot of these diets, you end up being very malnourished. I don't know about the particular diet you're talking about, though. Mm-hmm. Well, you eat like a a certain amount of protein, mm-hmm. um, you know, good protein, good fat, and good carbs, you know, yeah. and it's all proportioned. Yeah. And yeah. so, anyway, <laughs> just want to make sure that that's a healthy way to Well, I'd have a look to, at eat fat, lose fat. Yeah, you can get that on Amazon. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank You're for welcome. All right, I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go. Cause this okay, and I do, I'd love, love to get a few websites in, too. Oh, of course, absolutely. We'll, get, we'll have time for that at the end for sure. My question, okay, so actually two questions. Um, what are the top ways a person can achieve health on a daily basis? Well, I would say first and foremost, eat three square meals a day, three real meals of real food that contain plenty of fat, some animal protein of some sort, and some, you know, uh, quality carbohydrates. Okay. Anything else? Don't skip meals. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we're big advocates of cod liver oil as a way to ensure that you're getting enough vitamins A and D. Mm-hmm. And also, isn't it important to have, make sure you have saturated fat to keep the cod liver oil from going? Or, or it, it works. It, I guess it works better it works in your body, in, right? Yes, there's there's definitely a synergy there. Okay, got it. Oh, and then a question from Jennifer on Facebook actually overlooked. She wants to know, what can I eat to satisfy a sweet tooth? Yeah, you know, I I don't, there's no easy answers on the sweet (laughs) tooth, but all I can say is that people who've gone on our diet, many of them have reported to us that the sweet tooth has gone away. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting on lots of good fats is the Okay. Last question, Sally. What did you eat today? What did I eat today? For breakfast, I had some grass-fed sausage and two grass-fed eggs. And uh, I had some fruit, but I can't remember what it was. And then, oh, an orange, an organic orange. Uh, For lunch, I had some beautiful raw cheese with some sourdough bread. 
and some watermelon. Mm. And for dinner, I had some grass-fed steak with a reduction sauce made with homemade beef broth and some asparagus. I had a salad with some uh, raw blue cheese on it, and I also had some stewed fruit for dessert with real raw cream on it. Mm. Come to your house for dinner. <laughs> you know, I want to amazing. quickly give some websites. Uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation is WestonAPrice.org, and you can find your local chapter there. If you're new to the foundation, we have a beginner's tour. Uh, our other website is RealMilk.com, all the information you need about raw milk. And then my uh, own website is NewTrendsPublishing.com. That's N-E-W-T-R-E-N-D-S Publishing.com. Sally, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate you coming. I Thanks so really much for having me, and yeah. um, best of luck with your radio show. I think Thanks so great. much. Have a great night. Uh, okay. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening, guys. That was our show. Love having Sally on the show. That was a big honor. I've, I've been following her work for probably eight to ten years now. Um, if you didn't hear the, the announcements for next, next week's show, I'll have Dr. Nicola McFadgen on. She is the author of The Lyme Diet, talking all about Lyme disease. If you know of anyone suffering from that, definitely pass on the word. Uh, more information about me, drlaurennoel.com. I'm available for health consulting all over the country and the world and local to San Diego, of course. Thanks so much for all the Facebook questions and the callers, and I uh, will see you next week. Thanks. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold, up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.